Hi, this is Brendan Davis from the Bedrock Blog and Bedrock Games, and I'm here with Adam Balderstone and Joel Clark for the first episode of Horror Express, where we talk about horror movies of all kinds. And tonight we're going to be talking about Nightbreed, a 1990 uh, Clive Barker movie. This is a cult classic. It kind of bombed in the theater when it came out, and it's based on the book Cabal, which we might also talk about. Uh, But it's one that I remember seeing when I was in high school, after school, on video, and we've just recently seen the director's cut on Amazon Prime, which is uh, a little different than the version that, that I saw originally. Um, and, and Joel, I believe this is your first time seeing it. So before we even start, I want to get Joel's reaction to this movie, and then we'll kind of get into the plot and some of the details. All right, cool. I, this was my first time, and I it's one of those movies that, like, I kept kind of dancing around. I just ne- never really committed to it. I was like, oh, Nightbreed. I don't know what that is. And I would just kind of skip it. Like, not meaning to avoid it, because I wanted to watch it. But I just never really got around to it. And then finally, you were like, oh, man, this is on Prime. you got to watch it. And uh, so naturally, with, whenever you're enthusiastic, it's usually a pretty good sign with a movie. Uh, with only one notable exception, pretty much in the entirety of the time I've known you. Which, uh, which movie was that? I need to know so I can... Uh... You, you already know. Oh, was it uh, Golden Swallow? Mm-hmm. Okay, all right. It's the only one we disagree on. <laughs> um, it's, it's the only one. Um, but, uh, okay, so first of all, this is a very, it's a good kind of 90s movie. There was this kind of moment in cinema between the, the, the way they did it in the 80s and the way they started to eventually do it in the 90s, where it seemed like they just really took their time. Uh, so the, the pacing on this thing, even though it's just completely crammed full of all kinds of cool, interesting stuff, it doesn't really feel rushed. Um, it just feels like rich, like cheesecake, you know? It's like taking two hours to eat a really nice couple of pieces of cheesecake. You know, you don't feel like you're rushed through it. It just feels like there's a lot of nuance. Um, so it's it's the good, in my estimation, it's the good kind of nice movie. It's actually kind of my favorite pacing that a movie can have. Um, and it's, it's rare for them to have it anymore. Nowadays, it feels like movies are in a hurry, and they're longer than ever. So... I don't know. It it felt relaxing, like emotionally relaxing to watch this movie about gore and monsters and all kinds of crazy, <laughs> like very clear, like war movie allegories and things like that. Um, I really enjoyed it. I, I greatly enjoyed this movie. I like that it didn't really take time to explain itself, but it, you didn't really feel lost. I like how deep it felt, like how rich the world felt. Um, I like that the monsters looked really cool. Like visually, this movie is jaw dropping, especially considering it was made in what you said, 1990. Like there was a lot of really great looking movies that came out around that era. Cause it was like when Jurassic Park came out too. And just like, I have no idea how they managed to make these movies look this good. I think um, this, I, like this is the, you know, I think it was like the peak moment for like practical yes, effects, yes, makeup yes. effects. And all those pictures. CGI came along and just destroyed it's, the it's, whole. It's it's Jurassic to... Park is the wrong turn in cinematic history, and this should have been the direction we kept going. Do you know what I mean? That that <laughs> well, is. I a... remember. Uh, <laughs> I was a big fan of the Aliens franchise back when it was fresh off the griddle, and I remember Aliens being really amazing looking, and then Alien Three being pretty laughable. Yeah. Um. So just give you an idea of like the the fork that movies took. Yeah. I, I still. I mean, a long time. And I know I've said this before, but like, practice you know, CGI even done today, I don't like it because it never feels like it has the weight. But the but the practical effects at least feel like they're there, and that makes a big difference. So, um. But yeah, I had the same rewatching it. I had the same uh, response, which was you know like the 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 glory of the practical effects and just how 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 
how stunning they were. And and I think here's what I think is the difference. And we can get into the plot in a moment. And we can get into other reactions in a moment. But I think one of the reasons why this movie is so great and why practical effects are so great is the time investment into making each monster. You you can't you can't half ass the, the the monster design. You have to do every little braid of the hair. And in CGI, I think maybe there are too many shortcuts, and that maybe is what leads to some of the stuff that I don't like when I'm watching a CGI film where there's, and I don't know enough about how CGI works, but I feel like there's always these, the, it, it just, I don't know. It just doesn't, it doesn't have the, the, it, do, it doesn't, it, CGI always looks like it was just kind of quickly painted over the movie to me. Do you know what I mean? That's, that's, mm-hmm. that's often how it, how the effect is, except for a movie like Jurassic Park where they clearly took their time. To they get actually it right. did a fair amount of practical effects in Jurassic. Did Park they? Too. Like I think I think the best the best CGI movies actually combine the two. Like, okay. like the Lord of the Rings movies actually did a mix of practical. Yeah, and those are pretty good. Those... And it works when you kind of layer CGI over good practical yeah. effects. Just when you do all CGI is where you get that just yeah. weightless kind of lack of reality effect. I yeah, think. and also I think they have a tendency to outsource it to people that are like. You know, mm-hmm. who knows how many people are involved? It might just be one guy at a computer. Do you know what I mean? And then, like, you, yeah. you know, yeah. so, um, so it might have to do with the business structure that it led to as well. But, um, but this movie is, you know, you, you have this rich cast of monsters, and you know, and that's what the plot is about. It's about a place called Midian where the monsters live, and they're kind of like the, they're like a, a tribe from the ancient times that have been persecuted, and they worship the god uh, Bathomay, and this guy Boone is drawn to Midian. But he's also being led astray by this this uh, therapist named Decker, who, and again, I'm going to get into spoilers because we can't talk about the plot without <laughs> spoiling. But Decker is a serial killer, and he's he's convincing Boone that he is committing all the crimes that Decker is actually committing. And Boone eventually gets pin, uh, cornered by the police, and because of Decker, he gets shot and killed. And then he gets brought to Midian um, after having you know, received a, a bite from one of the, the inhabitants there and then being gunned down. And and then it becomes this big confrontation between the police force and, and sort of the, the I guess you, in today's lingo, you might call them the normies of the world, right? And and, uh, and, the, and, the, and the freaks at Midian. And, and also this Decker character who, in the movie at least, is, is sort of like a, a, you know, the psychiatrist trying to, trying to remove the monsters from society and trying to you know the 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 analogy is like a lot more heavy-handed in the movie than in the book but like he he basically is obsessed with destroying the monsters of midian in the film um yeah and uh and so and there's a lot more to the plot than that but that's the big that's sort of the 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 rough sketch of it um did i leave anything out you guys that might be important in terms of discussion, yeah, there's like a love story, and there's a lot going on with uh, Baphomet's blood and like the the backstory there. But I don't know. It, I feel like those are details we can go into more as mm-hmm. we discuss the different elements of the movie. So, so yeah. All right. So, so oh, go ahead. Were you gonna say something, Adam? I was gonna say, yeah. I I think it's interesting too the timing on this movie. I, I think Joel made a point about it being like this good kind of '90s movie, and it's like. It, it really felt like I saw it in the theater when it first came out. It kind of felt ahead of its time yeah. to an extent because the whole, you know, the, the 90s had a whole lot of the monsters or the good guys kind of stuff. And I mean, yeah. it was it felt yeah. really fresh and original yeah. when this movie first came out. It kind of 
laid, I think, a lot of groundwork well, for that. Even if even if it was a bomb that almost nobody saw. I think so I think what made it different too, number one, the monsters here are still there's something a little menacing still about them. Something still unnerving about them. You know, there's yeah, still, you know, you're like are, you, they are monsters. Yeah, and <laughs> and the monsters in the '90s they became so sympathetic they weren't scary anymore. But like Pelequin yeah. is still a scary character. Do you know what I mean? You don't know which way he's going to go. Is he going to eat you? Is he going to anoint you with his bite? Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. You, and uh, uh, and also I, I think the way this film was shot kind of makes it a little ahead of its time because like when I think of other movies from 1990 they even if i like them they they still look much more pinned to that date than this movie do you know what i mean yeah so, we saw, what was it mortal Kombat, which was a few years after this as i recall and it felt a lot more 90s than this yeah. one did yeah this, uh this had a much i don't know the the directing style was much more pulled back and restrained and just really it wasn't like hyper artistic but it was like very skillfully shot yeah. uh, it was really impressive and it had moments of that, like the beginning when they're in the when he's in the graveyard dream where he sees all the monsters. That was kind of a, uh, I don't know that that had that had a real surreal quality to it. Um, that's that's the thing. You know, I always remember that, and you know, a couple of other key moments in the film. The guy removing his face is another one that that oh, always man. stood up in my head. Um, but. Uh, but yeah, so I know what what are the what are the what are the things of this movie that stand out for you guys in terms of like why why do why do you like this movie? And Joel, you kind of already explained, so you know if you don't want to retread yeah, I mean, your like, you know, let's 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 give Adam a turn. Huh. Yeah, I will say I have to admit I I had already read the book before I saw the movie too, so I was I was excited going mm. into this because it was I basically I was at the height of my Clive Barker fandom at the time <laughs> this movie came out. And, okay, uh, just. Just to, just to share like a little story too. I didn't know this movie was coming out because, of course, back in the pre-internet days, entertainment news was scarce. But uh, I I fell asleep like watching Letterman late one night, and then I woke up and I was like, you know, you know, when you like wake up and the TV's still on and you're yeah. just kind of puzzled by what's on, and this ad for this movie was playing, and. Because it's like it was funny to me because the imagery I read from the book actually lined up a lot with the movie. So I just had this feeling like, what is on TV? And did I dream this? Is mm. like my dream on TV? And then I'm like, oh. And then uh, then I saw the credit, like then the title came up, and I'm like, oh, okay. It all kind of came together for me. But uh, but yeah, I but so I was I was prepared to like I dragged my friends to see it. I'm like, oh, this is a really good <laughs> book. You guys have to go watch this and. Uh, and uh, but yeah, I, 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 I think it, 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 you know, I, I, my, my only issue with the movie is that you know it, it does, it is a little Hollywood in places with a kind of, but it, 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 I don't know. I'll, I'll we'll talk about. We'll that get later. into the one-liners. I think I, the I one, know, yeah, yeah, the I, one. I talking about what I like, but I just like the mythic feel of it. It's got, and it, like you say, it does have the artistry of this movie, the way it looks, everything. There's just a lot of effort that went into this movie. And it, you know, it, it does have its faults, but I, I, I was real. I it was, the, I, it was the perfect time for me to see it in my life. And I, I loved it. So. This was the movie that made me aware of Clive Barker. I, 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 I was at the video store with my friends and we were, you know, you always debate what you want to see. And they said, you know, have you seen Nightbreed? And I was like, no. And they're like, oh, you haven't seen Nightbreed? We've got to see Nightbreed. 
And so we go and we take it, we watch it. And I remember I liked it. It was one of these movies where I liked it, but I also found parts of it disturbing, but in a good way. Do you know what I mean? Like, like, you know, like there were like, like again, the face ripping thing, but also the stuff where it's like, it's sort of like crossing a line religiously. Do you know what I mean? If you grew up in like a religious household where you're like, Ooh, this feels, this feels bad. Do you know what I mean? This feels, but, but, but it still seems to have its own moral compass, which I found confusing. So there was just a lot that I found interesting about the movie. And also the whole thing with like the Decker character just worked for me. Do you know what I mean? It just was. And, and at the time, you know, I knew D- David Cronenberg movies cause I had seen the fly and I remember really liking the fly, but I didn't. Uh, and I had seen scanners at that point, but I, I didn't know that he looked like that. I didn't know he was, you know, I, I, I don't know if he was like that until I saw this movie and I've been in okay. span for like the last 15 years. So, <laughs> so he perfectly cast, yeah. perfectly cast, you know, but, um, yeah, he is a bolt of lightning yeah. in this movie. It's freaking brilliant performance. Yeah, I would say another another way in which this movie kind of foreshadows the '90s too. On top of the monsters are the good guys thing, you've also like the serial killer thing hadn't become like this total fact. This is like a year before Silence of the Lambs yeah. comes out, and every other thriller is about a serial killer. Yeah. So. You know, the Decker character, I think, was a lot more uh, fresh at the time, too. Yeah, because he was kind of more almost like an like at the tail end of the slasher tradition, which he seemed like with the yeah, mask, he it, does seem to fit into. But there's a lot more. There's just a, there's lot, a lot more serial killer psychology to his character yeah. on top of the slasher thing. I yes. think. at least in the. I mean, maybe I'm carrying over from the book, but that's no. I agree you know, with you. I because even like in the book, they get into a lot of stuff. They don't get into the movie with him. That definitely yeah. gets into that. But even in the movie, you know, like when he tells her, like everybody has a secret face, and like just the the, the he. Ha- I mean, they 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 suggest stuff that's in the book. Like just his knife collection alone tells you a lot about his character. Do you know what I mean? The yeah. the um and uh. You know, because one of the differences, and we, we'll get into the book later, but just because, uh, just to inform Joel, because it might be relevant here, is one of the differences in the book is the mask kind of has like a hold on him. The mask is almost its own personality that insists on killing people, and 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 he has these conversations with the mask, and that's yeah. So so that it, and and there's just like a lot more going on with his character in terms of why he's doing what he's doing and all that stuff. Um, it's kind of, kind of a literary DNA with Lord of the Flies too, because they did that in Lord of the Flies, where the kids did the they painted their faces and they became like kind of really savage and bloodthirsty after that. And there's also some uh, some descendants from that I feel like, because when I was seeing the mask, especially like the way it looks in the movie and like the way he carries himself, I was powerfully reminded of the uh, the Scarecrow from the Batman Begins movie that Christopher Nolan did. I was like, wow, that's okay, yeah, that's okay, similar. you're right. No, that's a good point. And also, I mean, if you really want to get into it, like the monsters are kind of wearing masks too, you know, but like, mm-hmm. but, um, but yeah, I think, uh, but for me, the stuff that, that I really liked about this movie, uh, you know, were all those things and, um, and, and again, the practical effects, but also the fact that this is like, this is my first encounter with Clive Barker. And so that, that launched me into uh, you know, mostly by way of his short stories, but also things like the Hellbound Heart and all that. Um, you know, into you know, you know, delving into Clive Barker and into you know, definitely you know, finding more of his movies and watching those. Because I, I was one of these people that like ignore. I, I didn't I didn't watch Hellraiser until I realized he was involved in it after I saw this movie. Do you know what I mean? Because I just mm-hmm. thought Pinhead was just like a you know, just like a. I, uh, whenever I saw the poster, it just kind of looked like a. 
a kind of monster I might not be interested in. Do you know what I mean? So, mm. um, yeah. Then you realize it was Clive Barker, and you're like, "Well, maybe I'll give it a look." Yeah, yeah. yeah I actually Pat didn't watch Hellraiser for years afterwards oh, either. Yeah. Until I got into it, yeah, I, I slept on Hellraiser for the longest time, and then I finally yeah. watched it, and I was like, "Oh, okay, oh. I get this." <laughs> yeah. yeah. But yeah. Uh, I got a feeling that Clive Barker that happens to him a lot, where he'll think of this really visionary, bizarre thing, and people will just sleep on it, and then. You know, 25, 30 years after, you know, neckbeards like me will be like, oh, this is really clever and brilliant. It was well designed. And he's like, thanks. That It bombed in the theater and it, it sold like eight <laughs> copies. But, you know, thank you for appreciating it three decades after I made it. What, but, what? Sorry, Mr. Parker. <laughs> How'd you guys think about how Midian was done in this movie? The whole, you know, like the Midian's this world inhabited by monsters under this cemetery. And it's kind of it's kind of like a an underground city almost. Um, just in terms of how it was depicted, did it work for you? Did it feel too small? It for me, just fun. It it actually felt really big to me, like almost like unrealistically like Temple of Doom big. Mm -hmm. um, but, but I liked it because like it felt underground, and so like the sound it was clearly a bunch of sound stages. But like <laughs> the the sort of inside feel you get from a sound stage, the artificiality that gives you can be a detriment if you're trying to do an outside thing but if it's kind of on the the surreal side especially if it's indoors you can get like a thing like they did with bram stoker's dracula where like it really works for the movie and it works here it, for me in that same kind of way where it's like we're, we're clearly underground and there's something not quite entirely like familiar and real about it and so the, the they they play into the strength of a soundstage really nicely and i i, I I'm just completely into it. <laughs> I'm a sucker yeah. for stuff like this. This is a very me kind of movie. So, yeah, and the uh, the, the the basically the, all the conceptual art was done by Ralph McQuarrie, who did the uh, you know did the original Star Wars movies. He kind of did the whole look of those movies. You know, he, Ralph McQuarrie did the mad paintings. He did the, all the paintings on the walls and stuff for him. And and uh, yeah, so I mean, it's there's some really really big talent behind. Yeah, the look of this movie most of the cemetery was matte painting right like i remember there, there are a lot of scenes where you yeah. see them yeah yeah exactly so he did he did those paintings and then, they, then you kind of cut to a, either you know to a set or either that outside shot of the gate or something mm -hmm. but i i it's you know i'm you know because i've seen it a lot i can kind of see the wires but it's yeah. all it's all assembled pretty <laughs> yeah. well but uh yeah it gives it a feeling of expansiveness whenever they're in the cemetery and like it could not have been that big actually uh, so I imagine it was like this normal tiny little cemetery and they just through their little shooting and their movie magic they made it seem like this gigantic place I, I like that kind of stuff yeah this, the scene that I always remember when I think of the movie is the um, is the scene where Peliquin is first introduced where he says God mm -hmm. is an astronaut and uh, you know <laughs> the, the, I don't know why that line in particular just like always kind of it, it seemed like it seemed like weird phrasing number one but it also it also made me think about, wait, what does that mean, God is an astronaut? And, you know, it, it kind of led me to a lot of interesting conclusions. So, um, but I've always wondered with that scene, he bites Boone, right? Like, and he says it's because he's hungry. He, you know, is the, the meat for the beast that we were talking about before the podcast. And, uh, yeah. and um, what I want to know is, what do you guys think? Do you think he was just hungry? Do you think he knew what he was doing? Do you know what I mean? well, he's really surprised later when he sees himself mm. in the mural underneath the mm. uh, Midian. I, I think he was yeah. hungry, mm. and he's a shithead in general. <laughs> yeah, I, I think I'm I'm with Joel on this. I okay. I don't think he, he I don't think it was a deliberate ploy on his part. 
Yeah, and in the, in the book they call him like the Great Virility or something. I think was his name, right? Like, um, yeah. <laughs> Barker. <laughs> well, well, so so one of the things. So I mean, Clive Barker. You know, there's a, there's always that element. You know, under a lot of the, you know, and especially in a book, this story, you know, is obviously kind of like a, a um, you know, they're, they're kind of talking about. Uh, people that are like like okay the the eagerman character right like he, he's this supremely homophobic character and the and the monsters are kind of stand-ins for like homophobe not homophobe for for homosexuality and things like that do you know what i mean and other oh, yeah, things too but there's definitely kind of, kind of there's definitely uh i mean just the, the you know just from the dialogue and all that stuff um and so uh but there's also like a lot of like you know sexual undertones throughout the throughout the movie and throughout the book you know like the way the way that Boone kills Decker do you know what I mean like the you yeah. know with the you know that it's 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 pretty oh go ahead I remember in the mid nineties when Clive Barker like came out as being gay it was just like yeah yeah I read your books I know that yeah. <laughs> we, we're aware of Mr Barker <laughs> I mean I'm glad you I'm glad you feel comfortable in coming out but uh, it's not a yeah it we, wasn't a surprise you came out when you first published these we we are aware <laughs> but uh. But the, um, but the, but yeah, so, you know, but, but I thought that the casting for Pelequin was good. Cause that guy has that, like, he looks like he's, you know, like he works out at the gym and all that. You know what I mean? He just has that like, yeah. look, the actor they got for him. And, uh, and, uh, but yeah, I don't know. I always kind of, I kind of always just had this suspicion that maybe, you know, maybe there was some more to it than he was hungry, but you know. It looks like, you know, again, my, my theories often don't gain traction. So well, in um, a lot of cases like this and vampire movies have this, too, in the early 90s, they, they kind of they, they juxtapose the urge of hunger with like a sexual urge. And so there may be something more to it there. Like I didn't yeah. read the book. So you guys. Oh, no. Like, I mean, I was saying if there was more to it in terms of maybe he was deliberately initiating Boone because he had some awareness of the events that were about to unfold. That's, that's what I meant. Not, um, and like he, instead of be, being surprised when he went down the menu, it was more like just like regret. Cause he thought he was going to be a savior. He wound up being kind of a destroyer instead. Maybe. Yeah. I mean, I don't um, know. I don't know. There's, you, you know, you could read it that way. I really feel like he's too much of a shithead to have thought well, he, that far ahead. No, when it was during the scene where he's, you know, where he does have the regret though, he literally says, I didn't believe the prophecies. I mean, that's the, the issue. But he, but that, but he knew about them. Do you know what I mean? But he still knew about them, you know. Did, so, yeah, yeah, that's true. So he could have been following orders from, you know, uh, uh, what is it, Lylesburg? Was that his name? Lylesburg. Yeah. yeah. Um, but again, I mean, it, it sounds like most, mo both of you probably aren't uh, seeing it. So maybe I'm just projecting onto yeah, the thing. Yeah, I mean, it's not, it's not impossible, but I, I'm not, you know. Wait, it's one of those things where like. And I don't want to feel like I need to be spoon-fed information from a movie, but I feel like if a movie has, especially a movie, because this has to be such an economy with a movie, I feel like if that is something they wanted us to consider, there should have either been more specific ambiguity, or they should have alluded to that specifically happening. You know, okay. you can intentionally add ambiguity to a movie. If you don't add either ambiguity or... A, a conflicting like set of circumstances and there's no reason to believe that that's there and I, i'm just like that maybe that's me just going all death of the author uh, on it but like eh, come on what what i like about my explanation is it removes 
some of the coincidental stuff that drives the plot. So it, mm-hmm. suddenly him getting shot in the next thing and having just happened to have been bitten, those two big coincidences don't, you know, they're no longer coincidental. It's, 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 it, so I it didn't really feel like it was coincidental in the first place. Cause he, he found, like he was looking for and found Midian, right? Yeah. But so getting like... bit is the thing that keeps him alive when he gets sure. shot. So if, 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 if Peliquin didn't bite him, then he would he would have just died when he got shot. Well, um, I mean, granted, but like, he also wouldn't have like fulfilled that particular prophecy. I mean, whatever. I, mean, it, yeah. I don't think it's unlikely that if you go to a place where monsters routinely bite people, that you get bitten by a monster. That's you know, true. That's like... a good point. That's a good point. <laughs> it's like it's I not as a snake bit, and I got bitten by snakes. <laughs> what? Yeah. Okay. That's fair. That's fair enough. Um, what did you think about the the scene when Decker gets him killed? That was another scene that I remember really, uh, really impacting me when I first saw it. I was not, when I first saw this movie, I was not expecting him to say, he's got a gun and leap out of the way. That was not what I was expecting. Yeah, it's good. Because I like the way he like, he like kind of talks to Boone. It's like, you know, because it's like he is prepared to bring, bring Boone in. But then he realizes that Boone is like, no, you know, I didn't kill these people. He's like, oh, okay. If my brainwashing didn't work, plan B. <laughs> it's, uh, I think that was the moment for me that he became one of my all-time favorite villain characters. <laughs> I, I love like slimy, wormy villains like that. He did such a great job of that. Uh, my my previous favorite was Jaggy from Fist of the North Star, who was exactly that same kind of like wormy, awful, kind of like conniving villain. And um, and yeah, that was that was great. It was it was a really good evil vizier move. And I'm definitely going to steal it for an NPC at some point. <laughs> <laughs> and, it, and it works so well with like his soft spokenness that he has. He's got yes. this, he almost speaks in a whisper. And, and even the fact that like, you know, Cronenberg isn't like an, a, a real actor. Like he's not, you know, he's, it's not his wheelhouse. It kind of mm. makes, it makes the character better almost. It's like one kid. It's like, cause I was thinking of what actor could you have used other than him? And I was thinking, well, maybe Crispin Glover or maybe some, you know, like all these people were going through my head. And, and it's like, no, I think you need some of that stiffness that you get from him not being always an actor and being more of a director that, that, uh, that makes the character work somehow. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, Cause th- there's a sort of like, again, that kind of intentional artificiality to him. Cause it is yeah. a mask that he's wearing. Like that's this, this brutal, like everyday mask he has into this like, like horrifying monstrous reality of who he really is. Um, so yeah, and that's that's genuine because you're right. He's not a, a trained actor. He's just doing his best out there, Cronenbergin it up, and uh, it it lends a sense of authenticity to it that I don't know. I, I think it's superior to just just straight up acting it. You know, Adam, were you gonna say something? Uh, no. Oh, yeah. okay. I'm sorry. <laughs> Joel I was so eloquent. I was spellbound. Uh, uh, that's very natural. Adam. I was, yeah, I was just hypnotized by. Uh, by your... We we were all we were all hypnotized well, by Joel. I, I happen to have a friend who's an actor, and these are the kind of discussions I get into. So in this one subject, I appear very knowledgeable. But nah, I just legit talked about this like two days ago. Yeah, <laughs> I, I I used to do acting myself, and I, I I agree with what you're saying. I mean, Cronenberg does a really good performance in this uh, in this this movie. It's uh, he's gonna like I say it's, he just kind of he kind of it's low key, it's simple. You know, I mean, it's that's the thing. It's like he he, he isn't kind of pushed into doing anything that's yeah. I, that, he yeah. never gets pushed out of his comfort zone. But like, that's the thing with 
if you're if you're, if you're casting a role, like there's really two ways to do it. You can hire an actor who knows how to get into any kind of role or a specific range of roles, or you can just hire the perfect person for it that doesn't exactly. have to go far out of how they normally act, and they just exactly. do the second one. And that's yeah, because yeah, I, it's you know, I mean, going back to Brandon's thing on other people to play it, it's like. He is so perfect in that that I've never thought about having yeah. someone else in that role. Right. He's just great in it. It's, it's just perfect. I loved watching it's him. It, and he's got such a presence in the movie. It's a really well cast film overall. I think. Do you know what I mean? Like, uh, yeah. you know, you might say. I mean, maybe I think the in you know. Well, I don't, I don't even know if it's true about the lead because the, the lead character you don't you wouldn't want somebody who was too. You kind of wanted like a young, like this is the guy from Angel, right? From um, the Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Series. Oh yeah, yeah. I think I think that you know, and and it's one of I think it's one of his earlier movies, right? Like I don't remember him being yeah. that much uh, before I... this. But um, so there are a couple of moments where you sort of say, ah, maybe that wasn't the best expression that he had on his face or something. But but still, for the kind of character it is, it's fine. But all the other all the other casting choices I felt were really really good. Um, yeah. Getting back to Cronenberg real quick, too. I will say one thing, that even though he isn't an actor, it's like he is a really accomplished director who does yeah. fantastic drama. And it's like being a really good director means even if he doesn't have a lot of practice, you have you have, you have to have a certain insight to be as good a director as he is like into how acting works, even okay. if it's something you do on a daily basis, I feel like. You know, because you, oh, yeah. well, you can't direct it, it, actors if you don't understand anything about it so you know and I that feel... actors really like him as i recall um yeah. because like and he gets performances like he gave in this movie out of his actors like every one of his movies has at least one character that's very similar to this one uh, not necessarily in the way it's instructed but like in the way they're pre they present um and yeah so i i think you're right i think there is something to like he he knows what he wants you know and uh um, yeah. Yeah, so it shows through. It really shows through nicely. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and so you know, so that's the part where the girlfriend comes back in the story. So maybe we should talk about the love aspect of it, and you know how you guys feel about the love story, and if that works, and the and the and and the um and the Laurie character. And does the love story work in Nightbreed or not? Mm. It's really central to it. I mean, like I I buy that they're going through this stuff for one another. Um. Yeah, I, I'd say I buy it, but I'm not like swept away by it. It's like it's yeah. not. It's like yeah, yeah I, it, I'm not. I'm not like in the. You know, sometimes you watch a love story and you're like, yeah, I just totally don't believe anything about these people. And it's like it's not that, but it's also yeah, I'm not like completely. When well, I didn't really come to Nightbreed for a love story. Exactly, you know? it's good enough. Like it, it's good it, enough for the movie. It, it, it functions and it's believable so i think in that regard it works it drives uh, the plot it, too it does drive the plot in the it directions does. it oh, needs sure. to go and it's yeah. well acted you know it, it's acted in a way again that's like not necessarily compelling but definitely convincing oh man it's, i don't know it's don't you know what it is it, it just feels like a little machine that works and does its job it's you know? it's one of those loves aspects it's it, it the love part of the story kind of takes away from the direction that you want it to go as you're watching it. Do you know what I mean? She, it's the, not that intrusive, though. No, but what yeah, I mean yeah. is, what I mean is she's the thing that takes him away from Midian. Do you know what I mean? Oh, and, oh I get you. Like, she's the, th like, it's, it, 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 it's, it's almost a little bit like in, uh, like, you know, like in action movies, sometimes the love interest can become annoying because it's a distraction. <laughs> do you know what I mean? It's that kind of a thing. I just, I, I, well, I just want to see. I mean, 
without her, though, I mean, the movie is that Boone gets to Midian. At, well, he goes, when he gets to Midian the second time, he stays there and yeah, obeys the law. And, it's yeah. not a movie, then. No, I agree. I know, I agree. That's why I'm saying it's important because it drives the plot yeah. forward. But but as a viewer, you're like, oh, he's not at Midian anymore now because he has to go with her because, you know, she went to the he seventh. He does get taken yeah. away from Midian for a long time due yeah. to her. Yeah. So. And, it's true. Um, but yeah, I will say, too, going getting into the different versions of this movie, the director's cut has the book ending of their story, which is that she, you know, attempts killing herself to force him to bite her. That, in the, the theatrical cut, that doesn't happen. It's like they just go off together at the end, and, you know, she, she never becomes a nightbreed. So that's uh, just an interesting distinction between the versions there. And also, I think in the in the theatrical, so in this version, Decker doesn't come back to life in this version, right? Unless I missed he it. He does not. No, yeah. in in both the theatrical cut and the Cabal cut, which is the longest, not very good cut in my opinion, he does come back. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they actually, yeah, in the original theatrical version, there's a scene where the priest has uh, Decker's body tied up on this like cross in the cemetery, and he brings him back to life with uh, Baphomet's blood, and uh, and he's like praising god and it's this real manic i actually like the ending of the theatrical it's really over the top and crazy and that's just like the way the movie ends with like decker just you know pulsating back to life convulsing back to life and uh this priest exalting about it and it's uh it's not something that happens in the book, but I was like, whoa, that's yeah. a really great the book, horror movie. The book <laughs> is so different with the Amesbury character, where, where it goes yes. with the priest. In, in so that's what I actually want to talk about is the priest in this, because it's, it's always kind of bugged me in the movie, where I feel like the priest character's turn at the end feels really strange to me every time I see it. Um, that doesn't work. Yeah. It doesn't, they don't sell it in yeah. the movie. Because oh, this doesn't work. Because all up into that point, he's like, he's telling people to not kill them. He's doing all this stuff, and and then he gets splashed in the face with the with the the blood of Baphomet, and it burns him, and he wants revenge. Which you you watch it, and you're like, that just it doesn't seem like enough. You read the book though, and you're like, oh oh okay, that's enough. Right, so what I in the book, so you're right. It seems undersold in the movie. Well, mm-hmm. well in the book, everything what happens to him counterbalances all the good that he does do you know what i mean so it sort of balances out i feel like in the book he get it's 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 similar but it's just timed a little bit differently when um when when uh when boone is is getting picked is getting basically baptized by um by baphomet and baphomet's like fire or light or whatever is is flooding through him i think it also hits the priest and it doesn't just burn his face it burns off his arms it burns off his genitalia it does all you know he's he's basically an invalid he can't he at the end of the book eagerman has to take care of him because he can't go to the bathroom on his own he can't do he's he's blind he can't do anything on his own so if you're reduced to like a lump then i could see totally reversing course on the direction that he was going in do you know what i mean but, yeah, well, if I recall in the book too, it's kind of because I mean, Eagerman, you know, he dies in the movie, but he survives in the book, yeah. and he's basically using the priest as kind of his his hunting dog that he's yeah. going to use to track them down because he's got this supernatural connection to the night breeds. So it's like, you know, it's like the priest doesn't even need a lot of agency in the book version because yeah. he is just this, you know, 
tool of, of Igerman at the end. Whereas, uh, whereas, uh, you know, in the movie, he kills the sheriff and depending on the cut you watch brings Decker back to life to basically assist him in, uh, in getting revenge. So, and I think it's a very different ending. Igerman's the, the more compelling villain too. Do you know what I mean? I'd rather, I like the one in the book because I, I, I think Eagerman just is just a better villain than the priest. I mean, the priest is an interesting character, but in the movies, it's just it that it's like you said, it, they just never sold that turn that the character makes. Um, yeah, and he's just such a low rent Phantom of the Opera. Do you know I mean it's just like he, he's disfigured? <laughs> that's that's about it. And oh, so, no. but but, uh, but yeah, I don't know. So so I don't I don't. Uh, you know that that part of the movie bothered me, but I do. We should probably talk about Eagerman too, because he's obviously an interesting character. And... Yeah, he, he seems like he comes in late in the movie for as big of a part as he plays in it, because he's like yeah. past the halfway point, isn't he? Well, like, yeah, but deep in the but the but the the filming of him is bombastic. Do you know what I mean? They just have they just do this great job of showing just what a you know I I don't know I don't even have the vocabulary to describe a character like this, but he's just this. <laughs> He's he's so so filled with jet fuel or something. Do you know what I mean? He's just that. He's just he that. He is. Yeah, he, he is full of beans. Like he's, he's very motivated and yeah. he's very hateful, and he's got this like, oh man, you're right. It's it's difficult to describe him because like he's got this thing where he's so certain that everything he's doing is exactly the right thing to do and that yeah. he is utterly justified in doing it, and he's so pissed off it isn't happening faster. Yeah. What I like about him is he's the poli- he's the sheriff character. Normally in the movie, the sheriff character, if, if he if, went an inch further, he would have been Buford T. Justice. Well, like that's it's just that normally the the sheriff character, when you have a guy like Decker telling him there are these monsters in there, we got to get you know the the sheriff character is usually reluctantly going along, and this guy, you know, once he finds out what's actually happening, he's like, okay, let's get together a posse, let's you know, let's 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 yeah, let's go and just destroy he, he all the monsters. Already. Yeah, you know, like he's like, oh, the monsters are real. Get the arsenal ready. Yeah, he had an arsenal. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> this guy had a good squad already. Well, in the in the book, the they explain wasn't... what he does is he's basically uh, he basically puts out word that they want to get everybody who has a gun or a shovel and a truck can basically join up with them and and go to the cemetery and they, and they tell everybody they're going to be tell, uh, taking care of grave robbers or something. I forget you know how they frame it they don't tell everybody exactly what's going on but um they don't say we are definitely but, going to war with monsters and in the book he's sort of riding on the glory of like that you know the fact that he's arrested this guy boone who's like a massive killer and it's the most you know it's the biggest thing that's happened in his town and then on top of that there's all this stuff going on at midian so he wants to like really end the day with a you know with a spectacular success um but uh but yeah i, th- I think it's one of the things that really makes the movie in the end work. Cause this could have been a film where when everything builds to a head, it could have just been, well, we got to build the movie to a head somehow. And, but th- this actually builds it to a head and it actually kind of says something. Do you know what I mean? That's what I like about this movie. Um, I think it's, I think it's a, it's one of the more interesting uh, final confrontations in like a, a movie from this genre. Uh, it, it is. And like, I like that it does come in late because it shows just like how powerful that kind of witch hunty fervor can be. Like it's a very 
reactionary spur of the moment get your guns thing and it's clear that a lot of these people like when they're going to the to the arsenal which is all you could call this thing like the guy that's handing out the guns to people is like describing them in these orgasmic terms like this guy was waiting for a war to happen so we could get off on using these things you know so yeah the subtext is a little heavy on a lot of this stuff it's very i uh... mean i would say that but like I don't know, man. I grew up in the South a lot, and, like, I know these people. But this is Canada. (laughs) This is supposed to take place in Canada. It it doesn't matter. (laughs) It doesn't have to be the South. Like, it's just got to be that kind of person, though. But, uh, yeah, I I like in that scene when he he tries to give... uh... The, give Decker the gun for women and children in um, Decker's reaction. It's like, like just stonewalls him. Yeah, it's just like you know, it's like they're probably reading it as oh, he's he's too, you know, not not the kind of person to carry a weapon. But of course, he's just like I've got my whole, I've got my briefcase full of knives. Yeah. I'm good. <laughs> this is all I need. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, I'm probably gonna get his name wrong. Because I don't know how to pronounce it, but the the silver thumbs, the guy who takes off his face, I think it's Narcisse, or I don't know how you pronounce that name, but uh, you know how how'd you feel about him in the movie um, as a character? I didn't I didn't have him from the book. I liked him in the movie quite a bit because um, I didn't know he was going to even have a big role in the movie. Like when he first shows up, I thought he was just going to kind of be like the ticket to Midian, and that was it. And he wasn't even really going to be all that. He was going to be like an actual monster, and then. He kind of just shuffled out of the movie, and that's what I assumed was going to happen is he would be gone. But no, nah, he's in a lot of the rest of the movie, and he's kind of great, um, especially in the later part where he does the jailbreak. He's just a lot of fun, uh, and he winds up being a, a really likable character. So, yeah, I think I think as far as he goes, I he actually because one of my issues with the movies, I feel like they kind of make too many of the monsters too one-linery, and mm-hmm. I feel it kind of takes the gravity away from some of the monsters, but. He, if I rec- I mean, it's been 30 years since I read the book, but I recall, I think he was pretty much that kind of character in the book. Yeah, he, he was, like, he was. So it actually, it doesn't take anything away from his character because he is kind of a joker. So, yeah, I, I think that character was done perfectly. And, uh, yeah, and then getting back to the difference between, you know, cuts too. He actually lives in the theatrical cut yeah. and he, he dies in the book the same way yeah. he dies in this cut of the movie so it's another place where it becomes more like the book in this cut yeah yeah i, I remember being surprised when i saw um the version where he dies because i was expecting him to live as he had in the theatrical release and then yeah um, and, but it's probably because he is he is a pretty engaging character and this was going to be a trilogy if it hadn't bombed yeah. so they were probably like well they probably they probably shot the scenes with him dying and they're like you know what we should keep him around because he's Let's have him in the sequel. Yeah, so, he would have been really good for a sequel. Like, yeah. if this had been a trilogy, I would have wanted to see him all of them. Maybe kill him in the third one, you know, do a Robocop 3 yeah. kind of thing. But, I mean, don't kill him yeah. in the first one. God, don't don't throw no. the, the really fun character away. Exactly. exactly. Uh, but it does make you really, really hate Decker afterwards. You're like, oh, yeah. this guy got to die. Which is hard to do, because I love Decker. He's so great. Yeah, yeah. magnificent yeah. villain. But after that, I was like, oh, okay, I can I can see this guy killed now. Yeah, well, it's a pretty brutal scene where you uh, you know you have that him killing that family at the beginning yeah. too. That's uh, yeah, that was actually kind of chilling. Yeah, <laughs> it's like it's totally so different from the rest of the movie because you're actually seeing him like do what he does, and um, 
you don't really revisit that in this movie. Like, because, like, the monsters have, like, a humanity to them. And he's so, like, actually chilling. He's, like, soulless. That's his whole thing. He's, like... I don't know how much he comes across the movie, but in the book, it's, like, his thing is he just goes around killing families. Like, breeders is what he kills. He just... So, it's, like, his whole thing is killing, like, families with children. That's his... He has that, um... He has that... particularly creepy, even for serial killers. He has that that soliloquy... For serial killer. um, When he's talking to the guy in that shop that he kills. Yeah. And he says, you know, I do it over and over and over again he has that scene where he kind of explains it in the movie but yeah, yeah you're right yeah you're but the right. book i think makes it more clear and he um uh but yeah he's just this like soulless guy who's uh, and it's not even in the book it's not even clear if decker is even a real person if because it seems like a fabricated identity that he might have just picked up from somebody that he killed so like, it's like that's not even they, that, it, even that isn't real. God, well, it's so it's crazy. not clear. It's not clear because there's a line in there where it sounds like he might have just made he might have just taken over the identity of a doctor that he killed named Decker. Um, oh, God, that's oh, for that's, some reason that's just so much more. If, if I'm remembering correctly, but I, I you know yeah. I reread it last night, so I'm pretty I'd sure. Like I'm, your version, maybe yeah. maybe do the yeah. The we'll, Davis Which, well, what I like about that version, he's like just so much less of a person once you realize that. It's like, oh my god, this guy really has no soul. He's just, you yeah, know, where does he start? You know, mask, the mask really is the person. Yeah, it's, yeah. Uh... <laughs> oh, 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 I love that. What a great bad guy. But that's, I, I love bad guys like that. That's why Clive Barker's source material is so good, though. It, it has those kinds of details in it. You know, it's yeah. it's, it's really well thought out and uh, or perhaps well revised might be a bet. You know, because I'm I'm sure a lot of a lot of the stuff that looks really planned in a book is a product of people revising them but um mm-hmm. but uh but it's really After having written some, some books like yeah it definitely is <laughs> <laughs> but uh but yeah so uh who else have we not talked about yet is there anybody that we've left out uh, as far as like really important characters not there's the one lady who has the the kid who goes outside rachel like burned rachel the sun. Like she's she's a very important character, kind of. She's kind of like a vampire uh, almost. Like that's like the closest yeah. thing I can compare her to because she turns into mist. Um, yeah, but, she's got kind of a Romani vibe too yeah. going on. Uh, yeah. Which again, it's kind of a literalization of the like the metaphor of them being like oppressed people. Yeah. But I'm I'm fine with it. She's also naked in one scene, so that's okay. I wasn't prepared for that. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure I'm sure that helped fill seats, uh, but. But I think I think I don't think of her as much of a Romani character as like a Transylvanian accent being put on the character. You know what I mean? Um, oh no, I, I get what you mean. Well, I yeah. mean, but it's also like her clothes and like the fact she yeah. turned to mist and like the vulnerability to sunlight, which I just apparently admitted to thinking that Romani people have. I know I have yeah. it. So, but um, <laughs> but no. But what I'm saying is like I think they were just trying to invoke Transylvania and Dracula and that kind of thing. Oh, I get you. Um, well, I mean, yeah, I get that. Uh, but, but I don't know. I mean, yeah, she's, I mean, she's obviously an important character. Um, but she's kind of like Lylesburg where they're important, but you don't really, you don't learn too much about them really. I don't think. Right. Like, no, we we get, we sort of get what we need with a lot of the monster characters. Uh, I can, I echo Adam's criticism that some of them are kind of one-linery, especially my favorite maggot guts, who I don't know the actual name of, uh, just cause all he is is one-liners, one-liners and a, and a very particular prop. Um, but with her character, he, I feel like we get enough, you know, that we can the, we get what she's. I'm about. gonna I'm gonna tell you my one problem with that character. I feel like he also could have been a character in Beetlejuice, 
and that always I, annoys I like me a little a strength, bit. Sir. What was that? I feel like that's a strength, sir. No, no, that's fair. That's 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 absolutely fair. Because because I think the, was the Danny Elfman theme music was what was that, strong. That, that's you know what that's another thing we should talk about. Danny Elfman did the music for this, which I forget yeah. every time I watch the movie. Um, yeah. And that's probably why I was certainly thinking, you know, but because uh, because I think I think in those scenes when he's delivering the one liners, the Danny Elfman music is really fluttering in the background tremendously, you know, so you. Uh, yeah. Well, the time this came out, it was like Danny Elfman was just starting to become like omnipresent. He'd done like Batman the year before, which was his first huge soundtrack. And I mean, he was probably working on this before Batman even came out. So. It, uh, yeah, you know, Oingo before then, like he yeah. had such a bizarre yeah. career. And Oingo Boingo was in the um, <laughs> Weird Science movie. There, that's there. right. Yeah. That might be where yeah. they they got the idea uh, to use him as a. Because I mean, he's incredibly talented. I I have a lot of respect yeah. for his music. Um, I think he gets stereotyped because he did all the uh, the Tim Burton movies. People are like, "Ugh, it's just this." Well, crap. And he has yeah. a real, he has an identifiable <laughs> sound too. So it's like, um... yeah, about a, about a year after this, they came out with a compilation of like different soundtracks he'd done, and it was like, and it, you know, so it was mostly stuff he'd done during the '80s, and it's like, yeah, he had, there's a lot of musical variety in there, but it's like once he did the Batman soundtrack and like a few Burton other Burton films, it was like all anybody hired him to do was to do another. But that's kind of what happens to them. Like, who's the guy? I yeah. can't remember his name. Uh, John Williams is the other one that happened to. Yeah, uh, yeah. yeah it, it happens to them all. Same thing. The uh, the guy who um, did the uh, the new Batman movies. What's his name? Um, oh yeah, Zimmer. Yeah. Zimmer. Hans Zimmer. Yeah, yeah. He did Rain Man. You know, he used to do all these yeah. like quirky kind of soundtracks, and then he, you know, you know, now his soundtracks all kind of oh, have that. <laughs> yeah. Yep. yeah so yeah, exactly but uh yeah people make fun of elfman a lot for you know his soundtracks being similar through a lot of movies but it's like i i, I you know he can do a lot more that's yeah. just what people pay yeah. money to do so what else can he do yeah. well, so. I, I feel like he, the the even burton tried to get away with it and tried to do something different. Remember uh, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory? They did like all the different kinds of music genre, yeah. and it was all scored by Elfman. Though, it's like, though I do trying, have to say that it was didn't matter because that movie was garbage. That was a horrible movie. Yeah. That was the that oh, was the it problem. Was so bad. Well, it's it's frustrating because there are elements about it I like, but the things that are terrible about it are really terrible. And yeah. It's just like, well, okay, so there's a percentage of Burton movies, and there's a percentage which is really genuinely good, creative, gothic art, cool stuff. Then there's yeah. a percentage which is annoying bullcrap, and that percentage has just slowly shifted over the years. Yeah. Oh, no that's question. It. No question. <laughs> no, that that's almost inevitable though when you have somebody that has that stark of an aesthetic. That they, yeah. you know what I mean? Like that's well, just what happens. Just, yeah. I think. Hate so much, so quick well, for no, a while there. Yeah. That, well, the thing is too, it's like when Burton was first making his movies, like when Beetlejuice and like Pee Wee's Big Adventure and those movies were coming out, it was like. It was just so new. It was yeah. just like wow. It's like, like you know Ed, another good one he did. Um, yeah, it, it was incredible. And, and then he kept doing that because he kept doing that exactly. What, what was it? A there was a Miyazaki movie called As the Wind Rises. Uh, and there's a line in that movie that was stuck with me since I watched it, which is you only have about seven years as an artist. Uh, <laughs> after that, your career is more or less. You've said what you have to say. Your career is more or less over. So. And that movie is about how do you spend your seven years? Okay. Um, and yeah, I, the the more I think about that, the more I turn them over my mind, the more I'm like, yep, 
Well, I think what it is 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 you don't want to get locked into doing it one way because then that or you know or or at the very least you want to evolve that style tremendously over the course of time that you have. But I eventually I do I think know, you hit a I, point where you're not you know. Well, it, yeah. Even Steven Spielberg made AI. That's where I go with that. Yeah, but but he was making yeah. that for um, Stanley Kubrick, right? Really? Well, he picked up the project. Kubrick was working. I mean, he didn't make it for Kubrick. It was but Kubrick's I, project. And but that's what I mean. He was completing. Yeah. He was completing yeah. the project of this great director who he obviously admired, and I think that yeah. affected the quality. You know, do you know what I mean? Like, and also yeah, Kubrick was kind of past his prime too, when AI was being developed, right? So yeah, like, I don't. So like. What was the last one he did? Eyes Wide Shut or something like that? Yeah, which I think like, a lot of people. Remember. I think a lot of people like that though. Do they? I haven't seen Eyes Wide Shut. Um, I, it it wasn't. It's not really known as one of his great I mean, movies. I've heard it's good. I've not. It's one of the few I've actually missed with him. Uh, I'm a big like Clockwork Orange, Shining okay. kind of guy. So I mean, I li- I like I, his movies, but like, and I like Full Metal Jacket. But once you get to Full Metal Jacket, you realize it's like not the same as his earlier works. Do you know what I mean? Like you. You yeah. Get to, so, but uh, but yeah. So I don't know. What, what were we? We got into a side discussion about directors. Well, we're, we're, we were talking about Danny Elfman and the soundtrack. Okay. Because, okay. Uh, because of the, the Oh yeah, music. and we and we were talking about we were talking about the guy with the 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 appendages that come out of his arm, right? The, oh, they, so great. So they come out of his like he's got like love handles and he pulls worms out of them, yeah. <laughs> like suspenders. And uh, and they did really. It's it's interesting that they did put most of the one-liners onto that character. Do you know what I mean? They, they like it's the, a lot the bulk, of them. Yeah, I don't even know if he has a name in the movie. <laughs> I think he does. I think all of them have names. Um, because they're named in the well, actually, not all of them are in the book. Um, but I I I don't I don't remember. Uh, but but yeah, I don't know. How did how did again? Obviously, the endings are different. But how did you guys feel about the ending in the director's cut version? Um, everything explodes. Uh, every character you want to see die pretty much dies, so that's always satisfying. Um, it's one of those movies where, and I don't, I, a few a few kinds of cinema do this, not all of them do, but a few kinds do, where they set up everything you could possibly want to see, and they not only give you everything, but then they blow it up. So they just, <laughs> like, like, down to the bedrock of what you wanted this movie to do, they're like, we're doing it all. And I appreciate that in a film. I'm like, not only will we give you an entire underground cemetery world full of monsters, we'll blow it up in a giant explosion at the end. Yeah. I love it. I, I love it. And it's it's not like it's unsatisfying because there's like this apocalyptic tone to the whole thing, which is, is earned through the movie. Like they there's a feeling of like looming disaster coming. Um, all of the dire warnings that are unheeded wind up biting them in the ass, and I always love that. Um, I love the kind of quasi-religious dark god stuff with Baphomet. I love the showdown between the monster and the other different kind of monster. <laughs> the uh, the Decker getting uh, stabbed in the very revealing kind of way. Again, Mr. Barker, we, we knew. Um, I just, man, it's great. It's like the ultimate payoff. It's really satisfying to watch. And I, I was glued watching that last, like, what, 45 minutes of this movie this movie ends like the world will one day end so it's kind of hard to look away yeah it's uh it, it, it is a good ending and uh 
for me, it's like the ending has always been frustrating because I read this, but as I read the book first, the book, it's only a novella. So the book mm-hmm. actually has a whole bunch of short stories tacked on the end. And I, and I, and I, so I, I was just, I thought the whole book was the one novel. So I, I just got to the first short story and realized that I thought it was actually a continuation. I was reading this short story, trying to piece it with the rest. <laughs> and I realized, oh, the story, the story already ended. And the fact that the fact that we never got a sequel to the book and we never got a sequel to the movie has always been like, oh, it's like as an adult now, I'm like more okay with stories just ending and being yeah. unresolved. But it's like I've still got because this was when I was a teenager and the idea of like something being unresolved was yeah. just this agonizing pain. <laughs> I've still kind of got that lingering wound from that that, you know, we never never got the rest of this story i i feel like it's probably for the best when you think of the yeah. history of sequels and because I yeah because i feel like i like i i definitely know what you're saying because i've always you've always wanted to get the sequel to nightbreed and see what happens but in my heart i know it was not gonna match whatever it was that i thought because you you picture so many things happening do you know what i mean you yeah. you picture these people dispersing all over the world and you have your own story that you've invented in your head and whatever whatever they come up with is probably not going to match the vision yeah. that that you've well, come up with i mean you kind of evoke the ending of the book where it's like that the ending of the book is a little more powerful than the movie because rather than them all standing in a barn, it kind yeah. of it has this paragraph kind of describing them all, insinuating themselves into yeah. the outside world. You know, all these yeah. monsters kind of creeping out into the world again, and it's uh, and it's it's and it's it's just this really power. I, I you know I don't remember the wording or anything, but I just remember it as being a very powerful passage at the end of the book. Yeah. But uh, yeah. Yeah, something about them waiting in that barn is a little bit. It's little stifling and static yeah yeah, yeah. yeah I, 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 it's also weirdly evokes the wizard of oz and i don't know that you wanted to with this movie well they did mention yeah. oz once before oz yeah, the, yeah, the, yeah i mean maybe well he's, he mentioned he mentioned oz is over the rainbow so you know i god is maybe. an but Oz is over the rainbow. So no, those two things those two things have to come together in the sequel right like you gotta you got you yeah. know it's so is God going to come down from space and be like, what the hell is happening? What happened to Midian? <laughs> He's going to come down in a hot air balloon. And, uh... <laughs> so, Cabal 2 by L. Frank Baum. Because it's like, he's like an 18th century astronaut. He's not like a modern astronaut. And that, that's, their, that's their vehicle to get it into Oz. Is is God? <laughs> so it's like a co-sequel to that, and Oz the Great and Powerful. They're like, wait a minute, tie up two cinematic loose ends yep. now. Wait, yeah. So that 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 uh, wow. So that movie was actually the Nightbreed sequel. <laughs> there you go. It's been right in front of us all this time, Adam, and we just didn't realize it. <laughs> okay. Not, still not as bad of a sequel as Highlander Two. So. That's fair. Yeah, there's there's nothing worse. Thailander Two was the first bad sequel I ever went to the movies to see. The first bad sequel that I was like excited for months and months and months to see because I loved the Highlander, <laughs> and I remember I at, I even remember. Some point. Well, at some point we have to watch Highlander and Highlander Two. I review. I will 
I will happily watch Highlander and I will reluctantly watch Highlander 2 <laughs> so that I can witness the destruction of Highlander 1 all over again. I, I, I honestly could not believe what I was watching when I put in the Highlander 2 VHS because I saw them. I, this is a little bit before my time. So I saw Highlander on VHS. My One of my older cousins showed it to me. and Naturally, it blew my mind. Uh, and so a few years later, I'm like, oh, they did sequels. We got to rent one. And I put it in. And my first reaction was I got the wrong movie. That's <laughs> never a good sign because it was like it was in the future. I'm like, is this like a Blade Runner thing? What the hell's going on? And then it then I was just. I'm baffled. I was like, did I misremember the first Highlander? Were they from outer space? No. No, the, the movie's just that bad. They, they rewrote the backstory, <laughs> and in the process, they killed the first... Like, it just drained all of the goodness out of the first film. And then, to, and then the ultimate insult was Sean Connery, like, phoning in his Ramirez appearance. And it just... <laughs> and he died again. Yeah, in a we, stupid, we stupid way. Him. He he came he back died, in a stupid way and he died in a man. stupid way. It was yeah. <laughs> it was an oh, awful man. awful movie and I and I still and I don't even think part 3 was was really that good either even though it's better than part 2. But <laughs> all we ever needed was a Highlander movie. That's all that ever you know possibly a yeah, series it, the series is fine but we didn't need sequels to the movie. Um yeah, yeah, Highlander is a really hard one to, to have done a sequel to anyway, because, I mean, it's like it would have to be so different than the first one. She's already taken out all the other whatever they are. You could but, do uh, a prequel, but, I mean, like, look, they say it in the movie. There can be only one. Yeah. Even at that. A prequel would yeah. have been a better idea. A prequel, they would have had material that they could have worked with that wouldn't have just made this the first movie rise of the kurgan yeah there you go <laughs> we, get, we get a lot of his backstory you could have ruined that you jerks but i remember we terrorized I, by someone else driving a car all over the place no! I, I i remember reading about highlander 2 coming out in newsweek and being so excited and just thinking this is going to be the greatest thing ever do you know what i mean because highlander highlander 1 was so wonderful you know highlander 2 is going to be amazing and then we go there and like, oh my god! It was just I, I I couldn't believe how bad it was. It was it was the first movie I remember really hating was Highlander two. Uh, I'm sure there were movies before that I didn't like, but this was really the first film I hated with like a deep deep passion. Um, it was, you know what it is? I never I never had the experience of like realizing that they were just wasting my time. Do you know what I mean? That like I was yes. Yeah. They're absolutely wasting your yeah. time. Dr but so the point being that a sequel to Nightbreed would probably not have been great. Well, no. I, I mean, I guess it depends from the standpoint that it was conceived as a trilogy. So it depends what he had. Well, the movie was, but I mean, like, clearly the idea from Cabal was not like Clive well, Barker yeah, wrote what he wanted to write. Well, I'm saying, well, I mean, with the book, he was writing it to be, that was actually something he wrote while he was working. I was like, okay, this I'm going to make a movie of this. Because he'd already made Hellraiser by the time he wrote Cabal. So it was, the book is kind of a a prep before he wrote the screenplay. Mm -hmm. I mean, oh, okay. kind of like Triton did with Jurassic Park. when you know, well, he wrote so why, why didn't he go back to write more Cabal then? Probably because he was, the movie bombed and he was, just like, just uh, uh, I'm done. Killed the creative. Is it possible there's like a stealth sequel novel we, we just overlooked? Like, is there a Clive Barker book that picks up this material or no? 
No, there isn't. I mean, I, I, he, I mean, he's revisited like you know Pinhead and stuff and Harry Demore, but he hasn't revisited any of the uh, Nightbreed stuff again. That's uh, maybe, 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 maybe that's maybe it's it's in the future at some point. You know, maybe, maybe, maybe. he hears the podcast and he's like, the time has come. Three dudes have asked. <laughs> that's what it required. The Horror Express has spoken. I must, I must write it. Um. We can hope. Okay, so wait, wait. I do have a question about the movie. Maybe you guys can clear this up. What the hell was with the name Cabal? Like at the end, like oh, make a big deal out of his it's name. Explain, it's explained. It's explained much better in the book, because you're like an alliance of. It, it, it's it. He's like, he's a. He's almost like a collective in a way because he he he. I think the name means like, you're. Uh, like he's kind of like all the night breed in a way. Do you know what I mean? Like I think that was the idea. I don't know, well, Adam. Maybe you can. Cabal is like. Well, I mean, a cabal is like a secret society. It's the fact that the monsters are all going out into the world. Like I yeah. said, it's it's more explicit in the book that they're insinuating themselves into the yeah. world again. And you know, so rather than being just, you know, that, that's always the way the barn thing doesn't work as well because they're all lumped together in yeah. this room together. But really, they're all spreading out. And he's kind of the uh, the leader of this, you know, of this this group of of nightbreed that are the that monster are, diaspora yeah. yeah exactly so it's you know it's this cabal of uh of creatures that are that are out there you know but uh so i mean that's where i think the name comes from yeah because it's i don't know if i have time to actually find the line but it does it does say and like he explicitly explains the um the choice of the name um right because it seems like that if you explain that term a little bit and give us some context, it it gives it a little more. I don't know. It just seemed like your name is Darth Darth Vader now. I guess whatever. Also, a completely unrelated note, but this is kind of like it's not totally unrelated. But like that that thing where it's like, oh, you're this now. This is your, your new name. That's I just rewatched Revenge of the Sith yesterday because my kids had never seen it before. And it's just that same kind of thing in that scene where, like, Darth Sidious is all like, oh, you're not going to be Anakin Skywalker anymore. You're going to be Darth... Uh... And, like, there's this really awkward pause when he's clearly trying to think of a name. He's <laughs> like, uh, Futon? Nope. Carpet? No. Uh, Vader. Yep. Vader. Darth Vader. That's what it's going to be. Sort of felt like that in this movie. That was the delivery. It was like, now you're a uh, cabal. Yeah. Does that mean anything? No, just go. It's fine. Just go. <laughs> so. Okay. Yeah, I'm, I'm probably not gonna. I'm probably not gonna be able to find the uh, the line. I, I should. I'm out of charm for stalling to give you time to do it. Oh, so. okay. Here we go. Here we go. I found it. I found it. Oh. So hey. it says he was no longer Boone. He was Cabal, an alliance of many. So, that's that's all I needed. I didn't know. need much, man. <laughs> you know. You can't so, just change somebody's name and give no context. Like, that it should be significant. But... And there you go. All but, right. Uh, That's there's, significant. There, there's also a lot in there about, um... Uh... The, the, uh... Uh... uh and... And the toilet, which is kind of... Yeah. An interesting aspect to his character. That they, they just... Com- yeah. yeah. They do they do not get into that in the movie. Which probably would have been very difficult to convey visually without being revolting so i, I understand why okay well, well tell me all about this because for the benefit of our viewers they need to know about the it's it's that there's a scene in the book where he is on the toilet and it talks about how he he believes that this is like where he comes up with his best ideas and it seems like he's one of these people that spends a lot longer on the toilet than most people 
and and he also and he has like all these theories about how if the leaders of the world you know got together and just had a gathered for a bowel movement to have their you know their conferences so much more would get done they're just it's you have to read the chapter to really appreciate all, all, what's going in on what, what's what I, I do think i might have yeah, I I follow up to that as something too like you know but but you know, he was also just repulsed at the idea of this of these people pooping together because it was a solemn and private, you know, sacred thing. Well, and uh, it was well. Also, it is the spot in the book where where they clarify his disgust of things like sodomy, and 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 yeah, because it's sure. it's because it's all over the graffiti on the bathroom wall, <laughs> and there's a line in there about he wants sodomy on the bathroom wall where it belongs. Do you know what I mean? And and so it's like his. There's just like you know, you kind of get a sense of some of the uh, some of the things going on with his character through the the bathroom sequence. Um, but well, I mean but, the the subtext of this film and certainly the book is pretty explicit about like gay culture and and like the the danger of the kind of people that are obsessed with it and in a very destructive way. And you see different like versions of that in the movie. You see like the religious version and like the really like personally repressed pervert version and then yeah. like the the gung ho sheriff kind of version. Who's so, who I think I think the implication of the bathroom scene is he is a repressed pervert because like the cuz cuz the bowel movement is almost like the like in a literary sense like the inverse of sodomy. It's like sodomy in reverse, right? Like that's yeah, you know like and he's fascinated by it. So, so, you know um, yeah, no, it, exactly. And that he's, I mean, like, if you want to go psychological, he's being very anal retentive at the moment. Yeah. And, like, there's so much specificity about the way he does things that, like, yeah. it's clearly, like, what was being evoked there. So, so yeah, it's a, it's a clear and, and wonderfully rec- realized um, subtext that is still in the movie, but it's kind of in the movie in the yeah. same way that it was in The Lost yeah. Boys. Um, yeah, yeah. I, famous I, I... gay director. Uh, the Lost Boys, and well, like I didn't, I in both cases as a kid, it totally flew over my head. And in both cases, when I revisited them as adult, I was like, "Wow, well, these are gay." Well, well, it's 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 kind of like um like you guys were saying like it was like like when he came out, it was obvious to you, but I had no idea. Like when I when I um when he came out, it was a surprise. Like I was surprised by when Rob Halford came out. I was surprised when he came out. Like the, the you know it, it just didn't dawn on me. Uh, but you know, in hindsight, obviously, the it's it's evident in 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 yeah, the, in the, the, in the for context too. It's like my sister was a ballet dancer, my mother was a, was a theater actress and stuff. So it's like I even as a kid, I was like very okay. familiar with gay culture. So it's like I okay. I, I was like yeah, I, I I can see what's going on here. But um, but uh, what was it? Oh, so but I I don't know. I I just think that the uh, that 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 chapter in the book is it's more artfully done than you would expect. Do you know what I mean? It's like, you would think, Oh, this is just going to be a grotesque chapter on, on bowel movements, but it's yeah. actually a really well-written chapter, which well, is it's a careful chapter. And, and King does that too, where he'll take something that's either like functional or otherwise <laughs> grotesque and he'll make something hurtful out of it. Yeah. yeah. I, frankly, after reading Lolita though, I think I've hit my low point for things that are grotesque, but still brilliant character studies. So I don't think anything's going to affect me like that anymore. I'm going to be like, squeamish about the bowel movement chapter i'd be like okay but i'm sure there's a a purpose for this chapter and i'll just read it you know so 
yeah so i don't know is there anything else we want to add to this because we've been going for over an hour now and we probably uh i still would like to point out that we barely touched on the love story and i think that it's actually we gave it the exact appropriate amount of, of time i mean because it's that's how that's how precious yeah, it is you know it, it works but it doesn't it's well, not it's functional except, but it's but... not necessarily something that you you did again i didn't look at all the cool monsters you know, I, I didn't come to Nightbreed for the love story. It just happens to be there. It's like commenting on the lighting. It's like in okay, the book. Fine. In the book, the love story works a little more. I think one of the things it takes away from the love story for me personally is having her be a singer in the uh, early I mean, in the yeah, film. She was a singer. Yeah. That, that, about that. Doesn't that? Yeah, that that all, the beginning of the theatrical cut is so much faster. I think because I mean. I, I really my problems with the director's cut are all at the beginning. I feel mm. like it, it has all this stuff in there that's just like gets in the way. And there's yeah. there's some really well edited sequences like uh, in the in the theatrical cut, like when there's a whole sequence where Boone is on the you know in the hospital and he comes back from the dead and then there's the skylight broken and everything. Yeah. In the theatrical cut, it immediately jumps to Decker in his office throwing down the newspaper about, you know, body disappears from morgue. Yeah. And and it's it's just this it's just this really everything Yeah, that's that's story. slick right there. And, it, and it, it's a, yeah, whereas in this version, the director's cut, it's like you get you have you have these people wander into the room, these interns who aren't even characters like, the body's gone, you know, and stuff's like, yeah, we know the body's gone. Yeah, and then you have right. like a scene we, with we get Lord. the idea. And you have this scene with Laurie crying, and then you have the newspaper, and I'm like, oh, it's just, you know, but yeah, it feels flabby. It, it, it's it's flabby, and I and I I you know before we go, I strongly want to recommend against the Cabal version. I think the director's cut is fine. I like the director's cut. It does have its merits, but you know the 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 Cabal cut, which is the even longer cut than this is just literally every single piece of footage they could get their hand on. They just Ugh. stuffed it to a movie and it is, it is really flabby. So I, uh, I, I'm not a fan of that. And, uh, do you prefer the theatrical release or the director's cut, Adam? I haven't seen the theatrical cut in years, so I'm relying on memories because, you know, I, I saw it a lot, which is why I can remember these sequences uh -huh. <laughs> exactly. You know, back when I was a teenager, I was like, whoa, what's, you know, I had it on VHS and stuff. But uh, but yeah, I I would say either would be fine. I think uh, I, I, I think, you know, it depends on your patience. You got to be a little more patient with the director's cut. because It does have some of that flap at the beginning. But I, I don't think there's anything wrong with the theatrical cut. And I, I, I you know, I. My, my one thing that's unfortunate about it is that the theatrical cut, uh, well, the director's cut, it, it, it doesn't have the, the sequence with, with Decker being reanimated by the priest, which yeah, I actually... I kind of want to see that now. I really <laughs> like that. It's fun. It's just so over the top just in, and dramatic the way it closes out the movie. Yep. Yeah, and the Cabal cut, they actually use it as a post credit scene. So the Cabal cut actually ends like the director's cut, but then, which, kind of, if you watch the whole credits, you get the reanimation. Which scene. again, for, you know, I, I, we, we've occasionally commented that post-credit scenes are not anything new. Um, no. Obviously, oh. there's an example of of, yeah. of a not new credit post-credit scene. Um, uh, I don't know. I like I said, I'm tempted to say I like the theatrical cut best, but I don't know how much of it is just that's the part that's been in my brain mm. for decades. And this is like a version of the movie that because I, I like the things in this movie, like the Lori you know, the scene with Laurie and Boone at the end where they do put in the part that, you know, she stabs herself to, 
you know, it's like that kind of close puts puts kind of an ending on the whole mm. love scene thing, love well, love story. But uh, whereas it just kind of ends in the other one. Yeah, and yeah. I, I like the idea of Decker coming back as the guy who's gonna like hunt down the people yeah. committee, and I think that works. Yeah. That's a you know, uh, well, it gives the priest more of a purpose too, because I mean, you're kind yeah, of I like, feel like he was sort of wasted in the movie. Yeah. Yeah, it's like he him bringing bringing Decker back is a nice nice cap that he uh, he, he truly fills a full, fulfills a function in the movie. Also, in the in the book, the priest is a very different character in general. Like in the movie, he's like an alcoholic who's in the cell, and in the priest, he's a guy who dresses in women's underwear that the <laughs> that the sheriff is like blackmail. No, I don't know if he's blackmailing him, but he's definitely using that information to sort of force him to do spiritual things for him it sounds like um, like blackmail kind of like blackmail but like you know because like it's identical to blackmail it's but, the definition of blackmail okay i did, I, I just wasn't sure if money had to be involved nope. for it to be black okay um well, that's a bribe okay yeah but um but either way so he's blackmailing him with this information and uh and so the you know the, the priest character is uh is a little more interesting as a result do you know what i mean but mm. uh and and also it it adds to it gives them a more more of a pre-existing relationship too um but uh but yeah so i don't know yeah i, th- I think uh it's still on prime so people can go check it out if they want to see the director's cut um you know like it's a it's a really interesting monster movie it's if you like monster oh, yeah. movies high you recommendation see it. high recommendation so so all right so we will we will end it here and until next time we will talk to you later <laughs>